Surely he has borne our griefs, and he carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed.
Pilate exalted him, giving him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven, and those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father.
Amen. Thank you so much for leading us to the place of worship today. Amen. Christ alone, cornerstone. Open your Bibles, please, this morning to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, please, near the back, the end of the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1. Hope. Hope. It is something... As important as water is to a fish, as electricity is to a light bulb, as essential as air is to a jumbo jet, hope is that basic to life. We cannot stay on the road to anticipated dreams without it, at least not very far. Many have tried, but none successfully. Without that needed spark of hope, we are doomed to a dark, grim existence. How often the words hopeless appear in a suicide note. And even if it isn't written there, we can read it between the lines. Take away our hope and our world is reduced to something between depression and despair. Those words are from Chuck Swindoll's book, Hope Again. Allow me to read just a bit more. Hope is a wonderful gift from God. A source of strength and courage in the face of life's harshest trials. When we are trapped in a tunnel of misery, hope points to the light at the end. When we are overworked and exhausted, hope gives fresh energy. When we are discouraged, hope lifts our spirits. When we are tempted to quit, hope keeps us going. When we lose our way and confusion blurs the destination, hope dulls the edge of panic. When we struggle with a crippling disease or a lingering illness, hope helps us to persevere beyond the pain. When we fear the worst, hope brings reminders that God is still in control. When we must endure the consequences of bad decision, uh, hope fuels our recovery. When we find ourselves unemployed, hope tells us we still have a future. When we are forced to sit back and wait, hope gives us the patience to trust. When we feel rejected and abandoned, hope reminds us we're not alone, we'll make it. When we say our final farewell to someone we love, hope in the life beyond gets us through our grief. Put simply, when life hurts... And dreams fade, nothing helps like hope. And I think he's right, beloved. I believe he is. And if so, I think we'd all agree today that hope is pretty important. But the question is, where do we find this hope? Where do we find this hope that we need? Well, I'd like to submit to you this morning, beloved, that the hope that we need is found in the empty tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's found in his resurrection from the dead. It's available today because he has risen from the dead. He's alive and that has made it possible for us to have a living hope. Today we have a living hope. But I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to look in your Bibles this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And there we're going to read about this living hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, while you're finding 1 Peter, I need to remind you of something very important. The hope that I'm talking about today is not a hope-so kind of hope. I'm not talking about a hope-so. It's not like I hope it doesn't rain this week. 
Or I hope the Panthers win more than seven games this next season. Or I hope the preacher doesn't preach too long. That's not the kind of hope we're talking about today. This is a certain expectation. It's one described that this kind of hope we're talking about is living, vibrant assurance. Put another way, it's not a hope so, it's a no so. We have a living hope, a living no so. We have a living hope in a living Savior. We find it there, especially in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Would you follow along as I read God's word today? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I want to talk to you today about hope, a living hope. We're not going to stop there, though. We'll find that these verses lay out for us. Some wonderful things that belong to us because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. These things belong to those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Peter here is writing, according to verse 2, to the elect, to those who have experienced the grace and peace of God. And so if you're a Christian today, if you've turned from your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to share with you from this passage things that are yours Things that belong to you because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not a Christian today, let me encourage you and give you some good news. These things can be yours as well if you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. These things can be yours as well. And my prayer today and our prayer today is that if you do not know Christ, today will be the day that you receive him as your Lord and Savior. That you'll leave here with a living hope as well. But there are four main thoughts from this passage that I want to share for every Christian today. And they all center upon the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that he literally, physically, bodily rose from that tomb and he's no longer in the grave. So four main things today and then we're done. Number one, because of the resurrection, we have a living hope. We have a living hope there in verse three. Now, Peter writing to believers Writing to believers, I hear he wastes no time in praising God in this letter. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means praiseworthy. He's worthy to be praised. And he praises the Father for his abundant mercy and giving us new life. Those of us begotten us again through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a living hope today because of what God did in sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in our place. And because of his finished work 
on the cross, because of his finished work, it is finished. He died, he was buried, he rose again because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have this living hope. But the question is, what is this living hope? Well, beloved, I'd like to submit to you this living hope is none other than eternal life. So we have eternal life. We have a living hope. We have eternal life. And so we realize today that though death may come, it's important that the man wants to die and after this the judgment, but because death may come and our eyes may close in death here. If we know Jesus Christ, we have a living hope. The Bible says to be after the bodies, be present with the Lord. And so I close my eyes here and I open my eyes there. And I'm in glory with Him. I have eternal life. And the basis for eternal life, the basis for our living hope is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice that there in verse 3? It says, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, beloved, the work that Jesus Christ accomplished on our behalf there is why we have a living hope. 1 Corinthians 15 says it this way. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. We know because he lives, we also live. We know because he was resurrected, we'll also be resurrected. Our hope is alive. Our hope is living. Our hope is certain. We know this is not all that there is. There is life after this life. It doesn't end with the grave. It doesn't end at the funeral. We have eternal life. And we shall be with him and we shall be like him. The Bible is very clear about that. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 3, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, listen, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone, listen, everyone who has this hope in Him, purifies himself just as he is pure. We have a living hope. We have eternal life. And by the way, beloved, eternal life does not begin then. It begins the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ. I have eternal life this morning. If you're a Christian, you have eternal life this morning. We have a living hope. Why? Because the work has been done. The finished work upon Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a certain expectation. We have a living, vibrant assurance. But again, I ask you, do you have that, friend? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, please, today, I beg you, turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. For one to die without him means that they will spend eternity in an awful place called hell. But please don't go there. You don't have to go there. Trust Jesus before it's too late. Well, as good as this is so far, and we could just leave and say, praise the Lord, we have a living hope, we have eternal life in Jesus. That's not all that's revealed here. And it's not all I want to share with you. Let's add something else to that. Because of the resurrection, we not only have a living hope, we also have an incorruptible inheritance. We have an incorruptible inheritance there in verses 4 and 5. Now, everybody knows what an inheritance is, right? 
Everybody knows? Yeah. By the way, is that sausage and bacon sucking the moisture out of y'all's mouth? Y'all pray for me up here. Don't say glass of tea. Make me thirsty. All right. We, you all know what an inheritance is, right? Someone dies and they leave something to you. Perhaps your mother or father or grandfather or grandparents, grandmother, they pass on and they leave you uh, their home, they leave you their car, they leave you their money, jewelry, and then they'll also leave you all the junk in the attic and all the junk in the garage too. Earthly inheritances are a mixed bag, aren't they? You get so excited because you've got an inheritance, you go and you find something like that sitting in the garage. <laughs> Enjoy. That's yours. I leave it for you. And you have to make a decision. Do I haul it off or burn it, you know? <laughs> They're a mixed bag. You don't always get the good stuff. I mean, you might end up with the limited edition NASCAR ashtray collection. But you might get that. But even if you get good stuff, maybe you get money and jewels and all kinds of stuff. Even if you get that, it's not perfectly safe, is it? It's not perfectly safe. It can be stolen. The will can be contested. It can be destroyed by fire, rust, moths, mice. Praise the Lord. Where's my teeth? This is not to make you preach longer now. Uh-oh. That's why I got a little cup. Thank you, brother. That's why I got a little cup. Our earthly inheritance is not safe, is it? It's not sure. I mean, a, a mouse can come along and destroy something of great value to us. There's general ongoing decay when it comes to inheritances. And even if you get the inheritance and you enjoy the inheritance, it's only for a limited time, right? Because eventually you're going to pass and you're going to leave it to somebody else. And it'll become their inheritance. But I want you to see that we have as Christians an inheritance that is incorruptible. And I want you to notice how the Bible describes our heavenly inheritance. If you notice there in verses 4 and 5, it says about our inheritance, first of all, it is incorruptible. It's incorruptible. That is, it's lasting forever. It does not break down. It will not decay. Not only is it incorruptible, it's also undefiled. It has the idea of being free from stain or blemish. Not only is it incorruptible, undefiled, it also does not fade away. That is, it never loses its beauty or its quality. It's not fading. I mean, you might inherit a classic car. You might inherit something of great value. But over time, it begins to decay. We could go down today and buy a brand new Cadillac and park it right here in the parking lot. And I mean, just drive it from the dealership to here, turn it off and never start it again. What's going to happen to that Cadillac? We're just going to leave it there. What's going to happen? It's going to decay. It's going to go down. Pretty soon you won't be able to drive the thing. The tires will be dry rotting. See, earthly inheritance are not safe. They're not stable. They're not sure. Sure, we're thankful for them. We're grateful for the most of them. But listen, the Bible talks about that as believers, we have an incorruptible inheritance. And where is it? It says it's reserved in heaven for you. The safest place you can place something is in the Father's care in heaven. In fact, the Bible says elsewhere about heaven and storing treasure in heaven. You know what it says in Matthew 6.20? But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither what? Moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. We can say with certainty today that our inheritance as believers, our inheritance, our heavenly inheritance is safe and secure. But I'm guessing like all people that get inheritance... You're sitting there thinking, well, what is the inheritance? 
Well, beloved, to put it simply, the inheritance, as one put it, includes all that the believer will enjoy in heaven for eternity and all that is ours in Christ Jesus. Everything that we have because of Christ. Another one started listing it out. Here's your inheritance. Life, righteousness, joy, peace, perfection, God's presence, Christ's glorious companionship, rewards, and all else that God has planned in the Christian's heavenly inheritance. Think about how awesome it's going to be to get that inheritance. To get all that is ours because we're in Christ and Christ is in us. To enjoy heaven and eternity and all that God is preparing for us. Didn't Jesus say, I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again to receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now I want you to imagine how wonderful it is of what Jesus is preparing for us. The one who gave his life for us. The one who died for us. Imagine what he's preparing for us. And our inheritance, most of all, beloved, is Jesus. To be with Jesus. But you know, some might be fearful today and say, well, you know what? What if I don't get my inheritance? You know, when it comes to an earthly inheritance, you may not get it. You may die. Someone may contest it and take it away from you. Thieves break in and steal and decay. All kinds of things happen. So what about my heavenly inheritance? Well, take, take courage, beloved. Take heart. He's not only reserving your inheritance in heaven. He's also reserving you for the inheritance. Let me say that again. He's not only reserving the inheritance in heaven for you, he's reserving you for the inheritance. Did you notice in verse 5? It says, who are kept, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, we're not keeping ourselves, he's keeping us. I'm thankful for that. Man, I'm thankful for that. We're kept by what? His power. His power. Our part is to believe. Did you notice that? Who are kept by power of God through faith, through believing for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Our part's to believe. He keeps us. We see there a blending of the divine sovereignty of God, that God is God. And we also see human responsibilities. We believe. We believe and He saves and keeps. We trust and He saves and keeps. You know, you may not have much. Coming your way as far as the earthly inheritance. I don't know. I hope you get a million dollars and I hope you tithe it here. But uh, I don't know what your earthly inheritance is. But if you're a child of God, you have a heavenly, incorruptible inheritance waiting for you because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We've got to hasten on. We have a living hope. We have an incorruptible inheritance, but it just keeps on adding up all these blessings. Next, we find we have because of the resurrection, we have great rejoicing. Verses six through eight. Notice what it says in verse six. In this, you greatly rejoice now for a little while. If need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Now, I want you to notice we have great rejoicing, but notice where these verses sit and notice what's going on in these verses. The great rejoicing being talked about there is in the midst of various trials. Did you see that? In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. The Greek word there translated various means many colored. 
many colored trials. It's the idea of various trials and trials of a great diversity, a variety of trials. So what he's saying there is you have joy in the midst of problems. You have joy in the midst of trials. You have joy in the midst of tests. You have joy in the midst of storms and stresses and strains of life. You ever find yourself like this little fellow here? And you feel like that you're there in life and there you are in the boat and all around you are these many colored trials and problems and troubles that come your way. The Bible says because of the resurrection, because of the living hope, because of who we are in Jesus and what Jesus is giving to us, we can have joy in the midst of trials. Why? Because we have a living hope. See, our hope is not in the here and now. It's not in the here and now. We're looking for the there and then. Our hope is in Jesus. And we have hope now, yes, but we don't look around and say, well, this is it. No, I have a living hope. I have a heavenly inheritance. I'm looking forward to being with Jesus and receiving all that Jesus has for me. But you know what? In life, we experience a lot of that, don't we? Many colored trials. Problems and trials and tests and stresses and strains and storms of life. Why? Why do we have these things? Well, in all honesty, that's a totally different sermon, but this passage does address part of it. Let me just address what it addresses here. Look at verse seven. He talked about the various trials in verse six. Verse seven says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, part of the reason for all these testings and trials and problems is to test our faith. To test our faith. And when we endure these trials and we come through these trials with the Lord's help, it shows that our faith is real. That our faith is genuine and our faith is strengthened in the midst of these things. Someone has said years ago, and it's worth repeating, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. And so God allows us to be put into the test like a goldsmith would take gold and and heat it up and refine it and and get the dross and the mess away and, and get that pure gold forth. He allows testings and trials in our life to purify us and to make us stronger. There's so much more. But notice some truths about these trials. Just a couple things about these trials I want you to see. Notice, first of all, there at verse 6, we're reminded that these trials are temporary. It says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. A little while. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what trial or trouble you're going through. But can I just say to you, it's just for a little while, Christian. Just for a little while. You say, well, I've been dealing with it for years. There's no hope in it changing. Well, listen. In relationship to eternity, it's just for a little while. Just for a little while. It's temporary. You won't deal with it in heaven. You won't deal with it then and there. The trials that we have are temporary. Likewise, they're sometimes necessary. Did you notice verse 6? In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be. Trials are necessary. They're necessary. We need them to grow us and to stretch us. Imagine what little brats we'd be if we never had to deal with any problems or any issues or anything like that. We'd be spoiled and 
nobody could stand to be around us. But God tempers us and God tests us and God's refining us and God is chipping away things in life and he's conforming us and making us like the his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice likewise when it comes to trials and storms and these things that they can bring glory to God? They can bring glory to God. Verse 7 talks about it may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I think that's referring to Jesus giving to us uh, praise and honor and glory because we've endured. When you stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ, where the believers will stand for testing for their rewards. But in truth, it does glorify him, does it not? Because as we are faithful to him in the midst of our trials and testings, we bring honor and glory to God. And so these trials and testings, they are temporary, they're necessary, they bring glory. And then finally, they bring growth and love and dependence in our Lord Jesus Christ. It says there in verse 8, whom having not seen, just talked about Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. So what I'm saying, beloved, is in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the troubles, in the midst of the storms, because of our living hope, we can have great joy and we can praise him in the storm. And we can magnify him in the midst of the storms of life. We don't have to live under the storms. We can live above the storms with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he'll be with us in the storm. And he walks with us and he enables us and he helps us. Well, one more and we're through. Because of the resurrection, we have a living hope. We have an incorruptible inheritance. We have great rejoicing. And then fourthly, we have a sure salvation. A sure salvation. Look at verse 9. It says, receiving what? The end of your faith. The salvation of your souls. Now here we come to the end of our faith. End here means completion or conclusion of our faith. And what is the end? What does it say the end is? The salvation of our souls, right? Now, verse 5 talked about our salvation. You see in the verse 5? For salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we have salvation at the last time. We have salvation at the end time. And so I don't want you to get confused. Maybe you're thinking, well, I thought I was already saved. And I thought I was already, you know, okay. But now this says that the end of my faith is salvation. And and my end of my salvation be the last time. What's it mean there? Am I saved now? Am I saved later? Yes. Yes. In fact, as a Christian, you can with certainty and honesty say the sentence I'm about to share with you. You can say this sentence. Are you ready? As a Christian, I was saved. I am saved. And I will be saved. In fact, would you trust me at this point? I'll tell you, I'll explain it, but would you say it with me? Say it with me. As a Christian, I was saved, I am saved, and I will be saved. Now, a little grammar lesson. Y'all are in trouble because I'm not a great grammarian, to say the least. But did you notice in that? You noticed three tenses, right? What are they? Past, present, and future, right? And so we have the past. I was saved, the present, I am saved, and the future, I will be saved. And you say, well, preacher, what in the world? I thought once saved, always saved. Yeah, it's true. You're truly born again. You're always saved. But this talks about the tenses of the Christian life. And here's what we mean by this. The moment you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, in the past, you were saved from the penalty of sin. 
You were saved from the penalty of sin. Now, as a believer, as you're living day by day and walking by faith and trusting the Lord here in the present, you're being saved by the power of sin. You don't have to sin. You can choose in the power of the Holy Spirit not to sin. So you were saved in the past. You're being saved in the present. And then we said, what I will be saved. And that is one day where Jesus will be saved from the very presence of sin. I can't get my arms wrapped around that. Can you? No sin. The newscast will go off the air, won't they? The newspaper will go out of business. No no more bad news. No more sin. To put it a different way, if I were to say it to you this way, in the past, it deals with your justification. That is, God declared you just and righteous to the Lord Jesus Christ. In the present, it deals with your sanctification. That is, you're being made more like the Lord Jesus day by day. And in the future, it deals with what we're looking forward to, your glorification. What's that, preacher? We get a new, perfect body. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Take a look, friends. It's going to get a lot better than this. One day. As the old Southern Gospel song says, oh, what a savior. Oh, hallelujah. Beloved, because of the resurrection, we have a sure salvation. Remember the Joshua Code verse? Isn't that what it's being talked, of, being talked about there? Philippians 1, 6, being confident. That's hope, isn't it? A sure confidence. Being confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work, I was saved. Will work in you. I am saved and will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. I will be saved. I didn't realize that. I could have preached that verse this morning. (laughs) Do you see why the choir sang this morning? Christ alone, cornerstone. Only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Only because of Christ can we have this living hope, this incorruptible inheritance, this great rejoicing and this sure salvation. As the old hymn says, on Christ, the solid rock, I stand All other ground is sinking sand. Beloved, we have a living Savior. Because of a living Savior, we have a living hope. Now, I want to give you two questions and we're done. Number one, do you have these things? Don't close up shop. Don't tune me out. Do you have these things? Do you have a living hope today? Do you have an incorruptible inheritance? Do you have rejoicing today? Do you have a sure salvation today? If not, would you today, would you today admit to God that you know you're a sinner? You know you've done wrong. You can't save yourself. You believe Jesus Christ came, lived a sinless, perfect life, died in your place, was buried and rose again. And you believe what the Bible says, that if you'll call upon him, he will save you. That's the invitation I give to you today. If you don't have these things, I want to give to you Jesus. He wants you to have eternal life. He wants you to have a living hope. And you arrived here this morning spiritually bankrupt, lost and condemned. But you can leave here today as a child of the king, spiritually rich with a smile on your face, a song in your heart and a hope that is alive and an incorruptible inheritance reserved in heaven for you. Would you come to Jesus today? Now, secondly, I preach mainly to the Christians today. You have these things. I don't know if you knew that before you got here or not. You say, well, I knew about this and this. I didn't know about that. Well, good. Maybe you knew about all of it. Maybe you know more about more the scripture reveals. But here's what I want to ask you today. You have these things. Are you appropriating them into your life? 
You know, beloved, imagine receiving a million dollars worth of gold as an inheritance here upon the earth, but never spending any of it. You just hoard it. Well, beloved, you have something far greater than gold. The Bible says what our faith is more precious than gold. It's what this passage said. We have a living hope. Are you exercising that today? Are you living in the light of the living hope and the living Savior? You have an incorruptible inheritance. Are you more excited about your spiritual inheritance and your heavenly inheritance or your earthly inheritance? Where's your focus today? You have a cause for great rejoicing in the midst of trials and troubles. Are you focusing upon the stresses and strains of life? Or are you focusing upon the Savior? And finally, you have a sure salvation. You were saved. You are saved. And you will be saved. Are you walking by faith right now? Or are you walking by sight? Are you appropriating these wonderful blessings that God has given to you as a child of the King? So here's what I want us to do today. We're going to sing that song again that the choir and the children sang in just a moment. As a congregation, we're going to sing it. And the altar is open today. If you need to be saved, I'm going to be standing right down front. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond today to Jesus Christ. If you walk down the aisle and say, what will happen, preacher? I'll receive you, welcome you. And share Christ with you or have someone else share Christ with you. We're not here to embarrass you. We're not here to point you out. We just want to help you. And so as the song is sung today, I would invite you to walk down the aisle. We'll greet you here and meet you and love to lead you to the foot of the cross in Christ. Now, Christian, the altar is open for you today. Maybe the Lord's spoken to your heart. I don't know what he's saying to you. I don't know what he's speaking to you about right now, but I want to ask you to be obedient I want to ask you to come and kneel before him and pray and obedience, whatever it is. Maybe you're not living in the light of this. Maybe your focus is too much upon this world and these things rather than upon the Lord. Maybe you just want to come and worship today when you realize all that's yours. But and beloved, it's this and so much more. We, we just scratched the surface. We, we, I don't even know if we even scratched the surface. But you have a living hope today. So I want to encourage you as we have this closing song for you to come and do business with the Lord. We've got time today. And I want you to respond in faith. Is the invitation clear? You need to be saved. You can come to me. If, you want, if you're already saved, just want to come and pray. If you want someone to pray with you, if you have a need upon your heart, I'd love to help you with that as well. We're going to pray and then sing that song. I'll be down front. To meet you if you need to come. But I want to encourage you as we sing to respond in faith today to Christ alone, our cornerstone, our living Savior who gives us a living hope. Let's pray. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Father, thank you for that truth. Thank you that we don't save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We don't keep ourselves. But Lord, we respond through faith. And you keep us by your great power. Father, I thank you for these great blessings that you bestowed upon us. And I pray, Father, as we have this closing time together. If anybody here 
is not sure. Or if they just don't know. Or they're certain they don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. I pray your Holy Spirit to do that work which only he can do. Convict them and convert them. Or give them courage to step out and to meet me here at the front. And allow somebody to take a Bible and share Christ with them. And lead them to the cross. Father, the majority of the message has been for those of us who do know you. Lord, I don't even think we can glimpse even part of the glory of what's here. But we've done our best today. And we need your Holy Spirit to work in our lives. To speak to us and show us what we need to do in faith today. Thank you for a sure salvation. Thank you for an incorruptible inheritance. Thank you for the ability to have great rejoicing in the midst of a many colored trial that comes in our life. Thank you, Father, for the living hope that is ours in Christ alone. May we live as a people who have that living hope and a living Savior. And so, Father, for these next few moments, I ask that you would speak to the hearts and lives of those who are lost and those who are born again. And help us all to respond in obedience and in faith. And Lord, you get all the honor and all the glory for what's about to be accomplished. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.